Well, that could have been our theme verse for this series. It's great words. It says exactly what we've been talking about. I want to recap a little because we are in our last and final episode of The Church Has Left the Building. When we started all the way back seven weeks ago in part one, the title was, It Isn't What You've Been Told, and we reviewed that word that we find in Scripture for the church how it's never meant a building, it was never supposed to mean a building, that it was about always the fellowship of believers, the people of God are the church. We use buildings for worship space, we use them to come together in that fellowship, but just like that song said, if they were all torn down, if they were all gone, the church remains because the church is the people, baptized believers coming together to worship and to praise our Lord. In the second week, we talked about descending into greatness, how the focus of the church, even though we are the people of God, is never on ourselves. It's not about us. And that greatness defined in the church of Jesus Christ is opposite from that of our world. The Holy Spirit calls each one of us to be servants of all in his church. Greatness in the kingdom of light comes from spirit-enabled descent from a selfish focus to being a servant of all focus. In the third week, we talked about these bricks have a pulse, how Jesus builds his church, not with brick and mortar, but with people, that the gospel calls us from our cold stone hearts to become alive, to become living stones as it's described in scriptures. And that we are placed into the one holy church throughout the world by our baptism throughout the ages. That we are a priesthood of believers who bring that transforming love of Jesus to a stone cold and dying world that it may hear and live. In week four, we talked about going where they are. The definition of who our neighbor is to love. That our definition is too small and that it needs to be a circle that encompasses the world and the heart of God as we look out for those in need. No one can be excluded, any person that is in need. And that we are people who are called to serve, to do good weeks that we may do God's will, that we may see the gospel evident in our lives and that others in the world may see what we do and give glory to God. Week five, we talked about every day is a mission trip. How Jesus didn't just hand off the message of the gospel to just a few, just some leaders that can only speak, but each one of us is created uniquely by God, that we are the people who have unique stories, and that we are never alone in our witness because Jesus has promised to always be with us wherever we go. And as the Spirit leads us and He works through our experiences in life, so every day someone that we come in contact with needs to hear. Week six, we talked about gifted to serve. Last week, Pastor John celebrated our serve weekend, which was just an incredible event. But he talked also how the Spirit in our baptism gives gifts to his people, specific gifts to each one of them, and how we need to know what those gifts are, what we have been able to do in order that we can be used by him throughout the world in the church and in all places where we can serve. 
And then finally today we come to part seven, which is entitled, Hell Doesn't Win. And it comes from that phrase that you heard in our gospel that has been that theme verse for our series where Jesus says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. There's a story about a guy who dies. And he finds himself, unfortunately, not in heaven, but in hell. But before he's allowed in, he has to go through an interview process with Satan to decide if this is really the place for him. He starts out, he says, well, you know, it's pretty bad down here, isn't it? And Satan says, oh, no, no, on the contrary. All the people here know how to enjoy life. He said, in fact, we have themes for every day of the week. The guy looks a little inquisitive, and he says, like, what? He says, well, on Monday, Monday is party day. It's 24 hours of nonstop partying. It is so much fun. There are streamers, there's confetti, whatever you want. It is just a great time. He said, on Tuesday, Tuesday is food day. We bring in all the gourmet food that you could ever want on the biggest buffet you've ever seen, and you can stuff yourself with whatever you want. Wednesday? Wednesday after that we call chill day. You take it easy. You snap your fingers and whatever you want is brought to you. You don't have to do a thing. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Well, the guy's getting excited to hear all this and he says, well, I like this. You know what? Let me in. This is the place I want to be. So they open the gates, he takes one step inside the gates and he falls into a fiery pit where there are demons that are prodding him with pitchforks. He looks up and he says, hey, what about theme day? And Satan smiles, he says, let's see, today's Thursday, isn't it? On Thursdays, we tell lies. We tell lies. You know, that's Satan's greatest weapon in our world, telling lies. Jesus describes Satan in John 8, 44, when he says this of him, talking to the leaders of the Jews, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You know, we know Satan's lies in our world. They're all around them. We hear them every day. He lies to the world about life and death. There's nothing, he says, after life ends. It's just oblivion. So don't worry about it. Just enjoy the ride. Eat, drink, and party. You only get right now. So make a party life until you drop. He lies about beliefs. All roads, he says, lead to heaven. If you want to believe there's a heaven, believe whatever you want. Just be a relatively good person throughout your life. You'll get to wherever that is that you want to go. That's what all religions teach after all. He lies about prosperity. You need everything in this life to be happy, to be fulfilled. It's all about being happy. Get the greatest, get the newest, get the latest. It's all about more, more, more. More toys, more stuff, more money, more. And then there's his darker lies. The lies he tells when someone is in need. You're alone 
he says. You're not worth anything. No one could ever love you. Just die, and all the pain will stop. You have no way out. You have nothing to put hope in. There's no rescue for you. And his greatest lie, God could never forgive you. You know, those aren't all his lies, but you get the picture. The father of lies seeks to deceive our world. And if we were to boil it down from what we know of the Scriptures, it would come to the following statement that you see. Satan is a defeated enemy with a defeated army in a gated fortress where he keeps people captive behind gates by telling them lies. That's what he does. That's what those gates are. They keep people captive. And we know what the church's mission is then. The church's mission, as we see, is that the church's battle orders are to storm those gates with the truth. You know, but sometimes that's not always played outright. Have you ever seen it applied in the wrong way? I, in fact, did that once. I remember when I was a sophomore at Concordia Ann Arbor. You know, a sophomore. I knew everything. There was nothing else to learn. The whole family was invited to an anniversary party one evening, and I remember at that party I saw my father sitting down at a picnic table talking to someone. Well, I sauntered over because I wanted to hear what they were talking about, and it happened to be a faith issue. I listened to the guy talk to my dad, and he was challenging my dad on some other things, and I thought to myself, I've got the answer to this. I can blow this guy out of the water. This is be simple. I'm going to put before him just a basic truth that everybody knows. That'll quench the argument, and he'll understand. So I did. The guy got up, and he walked away. And I remember my dad wasn't too happy with me for doing that. And he said to me, Steve, you have to remember, always being right doesn't necessarily connect people to Jesus. What he was saying to me is that if people are being held captive by an evil tyrant, held in a prison because of his lies, then what are they? Yes, they're prisoners, but they're more, they're victims of that lies. And how do you treat a victim with pity and compassion and gentleness? Because they don't know they've believed a lie. It's been presented to them as the truth. So start gently. You know, we think about Jesus and we think, well, you know, the power of the word, we've got to go at it full front. And the Lutheran church is great at apologetics, but sometimes we misuse it and we want to pound it into people. Who did Jesus reserve the big guns for, the cannons that he would blast out of the water? Not the common people, but the stubborn leaders, those who promoted the lies, those who refused to believe in him. Those were the ones he went after with all the power of the word. But everyday people, the least and the lowliest, the disenfranchised, well, Isaiah 42, as you see on the screen, gives us a picture of Jesus. It says this, Here is my servant, who I am uphold, 
my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Now, that's what Paul's saying in our epistle today when he says we do not wage war as the world does. They have power to demolish strongholds. But we take every idea captive, every contrary thought, and we bring it into obedience with Christ. What is that obedience? What did Christ teach us? That we should love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. By following my example. Because there's going to be a moment in the world when the people who have been held captive by the lies are in need, are in want, they are hurt, and the lie doesn't help, and the lie doesn't heal, and they're ready to hear something else. And we need to speak the truth in love. You know, I want to close with a story by a woman named Elaine Pagels. She's a distinguished professor of humanities in early Christianity at Princeton University. She's not a church person. In fact, she had pretty much given up on the church as an institution, as the way she looked at it, worthy of any of her time or any of her attention. And in her book, Beyond Belief, she begins with an event that changed all that. I want to read that to you. She starts, it was a bright, cold Sunday morning in New York. I stopped my daily run to get warm for a moment near a church on my run. Just two days earlier, Mark, our two-year-old son, had been diagnosed with a fatal lung disease. Two and a half years old, barely born and already dying. My pain was inexpressible. I had not been in church for a long, long time. In fact, I had no use for it. And I was startled then by my response to the worship that was in progress that day. The soaring harmonies of the choir singing with the congregation and the priest proclaiming the prayers in a clear and resonant voice. As I stood in the back watching, a thought came to me. Here is a family that knows how to face death. Standing in the back of the church, I recognized uncomfortably that I needed to be there. Here was a place to weep without imposing tears upon a two-year-old child. And here was a community that had gathered, gathered to sing and to celebrate and to acknowledge common needs and to deal with what we cannot control or cannot even imagine. Can there be a worse hell than to know that your own small child is dying? Where does a person turn in such time? We turn to God. We turn God's people. There are homeless people prowling the streets of every city in this country. Who's going to help them? And the government throws its hands up in despair. The courts puts them back out on the streets. Who is left to care for them? 
Only one group of people, the church. There are families being torn asunder and young lives being shattered by drugs and alcohol abuse. Old folks with no one to care about them. Who is responsible for these people? All who are soldiers of the cross. We need to remember that hell exists on earth in any place that the church refuses to go. Because if we do not bring the gospel and we do not bring Jesus Christ to every situation, then God is not there and hope is not there and the prisoners are left behind the gates to live out their lives in a lie. A lie that will end in death. And we have not been given that option. The option not to go. Because we are the church, we have been commanded to go. We've been commanded to love the truth into people. To break the lie down with that love, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, with hope and peace and light. Because hell doesn't win. Amen.